0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. The Essential 100 Bible Study, also known as E100, is led by Father Christopher Rodriguez. This study is an overview of the Bible that guides you through 50 Old Testament and 50 New Testament stories. Upon completion of the study, you will have received the big picture of God's Word. You have in front of you the text for today, and the 50 Old Testament and 50 New Testament texts The whole point of the E100 is to paint what I'm gonna call a meta-narrative. Anybody ever heard that before? A meta-narrative, which means I'm gonna show you the big picture of scripture, the big picture of the Bible, the big picture of how this book works, right? So that in two years, or whenever we're done with this series, we'll talk about that in a minute, you can, I'm not actually kidding about that, but we'll get to that in a minute. You can, someone can say, hey, let's read out of 2 Kings chapter 14, and you might not know what it says, but you'll know what it means. You'll know where it fits in this book. Does that make sense, everyone? Because how many of you have ever tried to read the Bible before? Right? Okay, you might get, you'll get through Genesis, no problem. Exodus, no problem. Deuteronomy, no problem. Leviticus, it's a crash and burn, right? People pretty, but that's because you don't know how to read it. I mean, not, how it works is a structure to this book, and I'm gonna show that to you. And then the, the meta-narrative I'm gonna teach you, and you're gonna hear me say this over and over and over and over again, so you might wanna write it down, is the following meta-narrative that this book teaches. You ready, you ready? ready. It's gonna work like this. Creation, and I know my handwriting's bad, so no cat calls. creation, uh, fall, Okay, redemption and restoration. You're gonna hear me say that over and over again, okay? Let's read it through again. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Does that make sense? Let's say it, ready? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the E100 right there. And by the way, the E100 has no material. It has no supplementaries. I'm, I'm doing this out of my own brain and my own study. And I'm giving it to you because this has been a really impactful study for me. But what, you, what you'll see when you come away from this study is that this book is about creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, okay? God created the world, which we're gonna talk about today. Then the world fell, which we're gonna talk about next time. And then Jesus dies on the cross, that's our redemption. And now we're waiting for his return, that is the restoration. Does that make sense? You with me? That's the meta-narrative, the big picture of this book. And in fact, I'll submit to you this. Think of it like a circle, okay? Genesis is the creation we're going to talk about today, the Garden of Eden and all that jazz. The creation, then you have the fall. Then you have redemption, Jesus saving us. And then you have the restoration. Anybody know, the last book of the Bible is what? (laughs) Revelation, or the apocalypse. What does the revelation of John describe? You know what it describes? The restoration of heaven and earth. So you start this book reading about, and it only lasts two chapters, that God created the world and it was good, right? And then there's the fall, then there's all this stuff in the middle that talks about all the Dumb things we do, right? And then Jesus dies on the cross, and then the very end of this book describes when He returns and how heaven is reestablished as a real physical place. It's a this book is a great big circle. Does that make sense, everybody? And I hope, and I'm trying to let you see that because I knew this will make this book a lot more sense to you. So that we're going to be going from Genesis all the way through, and at the very end, the last day of this class, you're going to go. Hey, we're back in Genesis again. We're back in Eden again, and you'd be right. Does that make sense, everyone? Okay. Any questions? We're gonna move fast tonight. So if I'm confusing you, you can't hear me. Throw a flag, otherwise we're gonna move on. So you, so far so good. All right. So um, let me just say a couple quick things too. I believe, and I didn't always, but I do now, I believe this book is the word of God. I believe it is how God communicates to his people, and I believe it is the way through which revelation, God telling us about himself, tells us, okay? And we'll get into why that is, and why I believe that. Um, Let me ask you a question. If you could have access to information that described the world, God, yourself, and everybody around you, with complete accuracy and complete understanding, would you buy the book? Wouldn't you? Okay. Studying this book, and I'm not being hyperbolic on this, studying this book is the most important thing you can ever do because it'll teach you about how the world works according to God and not according to the press or whatever. How does the world work? How did God design it to work? How did God design you to work? And what is the solution to the problem? Does that make sense, everyone? So this, studying this is not boring, it's confusing if you don't know what to do, which is why we're here. But if you believe this is the word of God, and if you don't now, you will by the time we get through it. Studying this book is the most important thing you can do in your life. I believe that to be true. Some of you do, some of you don't, but you all will when we're done, <laughs> okay? Uh, so we're gonna, the, the, uh, the E100 is a hundred texts. We're gonna, some weeks, like this week, we're gonna do one chunk of reading. Some weeks, we're gonna do two chunks, depending upon where we are. We're not gonna do 50 weeks in a row, because you and I would all be burned out. So I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna have this class weekly until Thanksgiving, then we're gonna put it on hiatus until January and pick it back up again, is that a deal? I'll give you, I wanted to have a conversation about that with you before we uh, started. And we'll provide the text for you, and then we're gonna sit down and work our way through. This, this is being videotaped at the request of a lot of people who couldn't be here. It'll be on our YouTube channel on the website, so Chris Heiser, thank you Chris, is back there videotaping. And, um, and I'm gonna invite you once more to bring a friend with you. Is that a deal? We got plenty of room. Almost. <laughs> so So, today we're gonna to be looking at Genesis chapter one, verses one through chapter two, verses 24. And what we're gonna look at is the creation of what? Ah, Okay, what else? Man, what else? Animals, what else? Plants, creeping things. The translation, we're gonna get to that tonight. Heavens and the earth. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about God's action and the first thing he does. Let's, let's begin. All right. So you got, y'all ready with me? Y'all got a Bible or a paper with you? The papers are used, write on them, take them with you. Bring a Bible next week if you are so inclined. We're going to walk through this chunk by chunk. And by the way, let me just, before I begin, say one quick thing. Um, We're not going to go real detailed into this. When you study scripture, it's like peeling an onion. You could spend 20 years in the first chapter of Genesis. You really could. I'll give you an example. Were any of you here for my four weeks with Phil Bible study? A few of you were. Philemon is the shortest book in the New Testament. 20 verses. One paragraph. We spent four weeks on it. And when I went to do it, they said, you can't spend four weeks in Philemon. And I said, you wait. And those of you who were there, you know that by the end of the four weeks, they're like, we want to go deeper. It was I told you. So the point is, I'm giving you a 40,000 foot view. It would be great to dig in deep. But we're not going to do that because it's just a matter of time. So I'm going to cover some sort of general things as we work our way through, again, with special focus on the meta narrative idea. Everybody with me? Any questions? Is it too warm in here? Okay. Maybe we could hike that down a little bit, Father, if it's. Uh Are you? Okay, well. (laughs) Are you guys comfortable or not? Yes or no? Who wants to? Okay, it's fine. You can leave it the way it is, Father. All right. Let's begin. All right. Here we go. You ready? In the beginning. Let's stop there. In the beginning of what? God created the heavens and the earth. I'm gonna stop there, this is a gigantic, gigantic point. The Bible makes this, now, let me back up a little bit. Genesis is written in a context, right? And the context is Moses, the author, which we can get into sometime maybe. Moses, I believe, was the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. I believe he wrote it, he was not there, obviously, but he, either through divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was given to him. In the beginning is an incredibly profound statement, and it's a profound statement if you remember that Moses is writing in a context, right? All writing is contextual, right? Okay, you read an article about the shootings in Las Vegas, the context matters. Moses is writing a book describing the God of, which isn't even called anything yet, not even the Jews, Moses is writing a story about God in the context of all the competing worldviews around him. Does that make sense? It's hugely important to understand what he's doing and what he's trying to communicate. And what he's trying to communicate is all these other gods that claim to exist, don't. (laughs) And in fact, the only God which exists is the God I'm gonna tell you about. When, When Moses writes, in the beginning, what he's saying to you is the beginning of what? The Big Bang. The Big Bang, potentially, right? That's one way to look at it. Anybody know um, Anybody know about the theory of the Big Bang, what it means? Instantaneous creation of the universe. Right, so Raleigh makes the point that the Big Bang is the instantaneous creation of the universe. Lots of people would would, I mean I think most physicists Except that there was a something called a singularity, which is basically a word for no one knows what it was. <laughs> uh, but there was some something which was immeasurable and immaterial, which for some reason exploded outwards right into this great big thing which we call what? What do we call this? No, we call this time. This is the the profound thing that, that Moses, the point he's making, is God did not create stuff to fill an empty void. God did not just create stars and galaxies to fill the universe. He creates time itself in the beginning, the first thing God creates. Does this make sense? And so the point I want you to see here, and what Moses is saying, is that the God of the Bible exists... Outside of time. So, so what he's saying, Moses is saying, in the beginning God created, and he says here, the heavens and the earth, that is a Jewish way of saying everything, including time itself, and that is a crucially important thing, because people will say, what was God doing before the creation? It's a, it's a nonsensical question. One of the laws of logic is you can't ask a question which contradicts itself. It's called the law of self contradiction. If God creates time in that moment, you with me so far? That means he is outside of it, but as we're going to see, he intersects with it, and that he creates everything which then rolls forward. Does that make sense, everyone? It's a profound statement. And what God does is it creates. Why? Why did God create? I don't know. <laughs> Do you know? I don't know, because he wanted to. He's a, he's a God who delights in creating things. But he just chooses to. And he doesn't tell us why. The point I want you to see here, it's crucially important. God exists, not outside, God exists outside of time. You, are, you and I are all in it. And we're going to talk about this later with the fall and heaven. It'll make a lot more sense if you remember one thing, that God does not exist in time. He does intersect with it, but he exists outside of it. Put it this way, right now, God, right now it is 420 on October the 5th, 2017, right? Right now, God is, in manner of speaking, at my birth, at the creation of the world, he is right now at my birth, he is right now intersecting with October 5th, 2017. He is also right now at the end of the creation. Does that make sense? You wanna know why? He's not bound by time, he's atemporal, he's outside of it, hugely important point every other worldview of every other god that existed in the time which Moses writes, those gods all come into being once the universe is created. In other words, what Moses is saying, and it's a ridiculously audacious claim, is my god's bigger than your god. (laughs) And not only that, my god created all this stuff. And he created it ex nihilo, out of nothing. You with me? Okay, now, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without, without form and void, darkness covered the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This expression here, without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep. Um, how many of you know anything about Jewish maritime, ancient Jewish maritime history? <laughs> there is no such thing.
1: There's no such thing.
0: That's right, that's right. <laughs> In the Jewish mind, okay, formlessness and void basically means unstructured. God just creates, whether you call it the Big Bang or whatever, creates stuff with no, fu- no function and no form, and not only is there no function and no form, it's deep and what? Dark. If you are a Jew, darkness and water are absolutely terrifying things. And let me ask you a question. Anybody here ever been uh, on a boat at night in the dark when it's stormy? It is completely terrifying, why? You can't see and you can't control it. And if you stay for the hurricane? I did. <laughs> and the wind is blowing and it's two o'clock in the morning and there's stuff hitting the house and you're afraid of tornadoes and you look out you can't see a thing. It's it is dark, it's terrifying. What I want you to see here is what what Moses is saying is God creates everything. It's terrifyingly unstructured and then he forms it. How does he do it? What does he do? And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water and God said. "Right, Let there be light. God just begins to create, and he does it in an important way. Here's why. Spirit of God is a Hebrew word. The word is ruach, and it means spirit. It means, we find out later, the Holy Spirit. It also means breath. So if you notice something in scripture, you will see God and Jesus (laughs) breathing on things to create them. We're gonna see this with Adam in just a moment. The breath of God, listen to this, biblically speaking, the breath of God is formative, it creates structure, it creates goodness, and it creates, we'll see in a minute, life. This word spirit of God can be translated as wind, breath, spirit, you name it. As a Christian, we would say that's the second person of the Trinity, right there in verse one, verse two, the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay. With me? Okay, any questions on that? But I, one thing to see, though, the fact that God is creating stuff just by His breath, just by speaking, is a in the context of the first of the ancient Near East, a radically strange, bizarre, countercultural idea. God is not some uh, human semblance amongst people; He is the guy who just creates it all. Okay, um, and then I want to go through this. Now, y'all know this; y'all know these. And God said, "Let there be." Light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. That is crazy talk. What I mean by that, not that it's crazy talk from Scripture. If you are in the the ancient Near East, everything in the created order was not good. It was what? In fact, even in in Jesus's time, in in the Greek worldview, matter and physical stuff is bad. You can't say that some light is good, or bodies are good, or stars are good. How are they good? They're just pieces of rock. They're particles. Ah, are they? If you understand that creation is not just there, but it's good, what does that lead you to do? What do you wanna then do? If you see that God has structured it and ordered it and made it good, what do you wanna do? Take care of it. You wanna take care of it and you wanna study it. Anybody who said science, I taught scientific method in graduate school, science requires us to believe that matter is real and repeatable and, dare I say, good, worth study. It's a radical idea in the history of human thought, but the Bible lays it out that it's good. You with me? Okay, we're gonna go through this part pretty quickly. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called? Night. night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And how many days are there in creation? Six. And on the seventh day, what happened? God watched football. (laughs) That's what I do. Now, people get hung up, I'm going to to talk about this briefly. People get hung up on, because you'll see, there's light and darkness before what? The stars and sun are created. Does that make sense? People get hung up on this. Let me give you something very insightful that will help you understand what Moses is doing. Moses is writing something he claims to be historically true. Okay. Anybody who says that the book of Genesis is a narrative, or a fable, or a... uh, um, Uh, I don't know, uh, made up, an allegory or a legend. You can say that, but the way that it's written is written as historical narrative. Now we're not gonna get into this young earth, old earth debate today, although it's it's a good debate. But Moses writes this as historical narrative. He writes this as if he's not writing a legend. This is not poetry, it's not embellished legend. It is actually, he's writing it as factual, but if that's true, then how do you get light before the sun? Okay, let me show you something. The Jews love to do this in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. They take ideas and they structure the ideas in a way. It's called a chiasm if you're interested. Remember, the scriptures were always memorized. What do you have to do if you want to memorize something? You gotta make a rhyme, right? Right, remember when you were, uh, what? You know when you're trying to memorize stuff. What's what's that memory? The the one about uh, April, uh, memorizing the number of days in a month. Um. Okay, right, right. right good. you got it right. If you, something like that. If you're trying to memorize stuff, and if you're writing something to be memorized, you're going to put little hooks in the text that make it memorizable. Does that make sense? You're gonna see this over and over again, and it will explain a lot of the things people get hung up on. The Jews would write in a way called a chiasm, which is, if you look at the days of creation, someone's phone's ringing. Day one, I'm sorry, day one and day six are parallel to each other. Day two and day, day five parallel each other. Day three and day four parallel each other. We're not gonna get into it, it's too much detail for, this, for our purposes, but the point I want you to see is you say, well, the Bible can't be true because there's light before there's the sun. Nonsense. Moses is using a device to help you memorize the text. Does that make sense? Any questions? So, yes, Ron. Uh, we know when Jesus was born, uh, 2017 years ago. Approximately in your study, do we know when Moses wrote. Three Three About 3,000 years ago? Yeah, he wasn't there, obviously. He's writing it after the fact, because there's nobody created yet. But I do want to go through this section rather quickly because the point I want to get into is, well, not where are the dinosaurs and all that jazz? The Bible's not worried about dinosaurs. The Bible's not speaking about dinosaurs. The Bible has nothing to say about dinosaurs, I think. But there is something to be said about this structure. Let's look at it. Um, Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. The imagery here is that there's not water in the sky, but that there's danger, water, and God separates the danger and puts dry land in there. Does that make sense? And God made the expanse that separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and he called, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. You know this stuff, right? Could we we uh, move along? And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas, and God said that it was good. This, this is ra- radically revolutionary stuff. Um so keep going. And God said, let, there be, uh, let the earth sprout vegetation. This is an important sub- thing for you to understand. Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit bearing trees, fruit in which their seed, each according to its species? No. Each according to its what? Kind. Let's pause there a second because we're going to see the word there used for um, different kinds of plants and animals. The Jews didn't think in terms of species like we do. They just didn't. So you can't impugn on the text a way of thinking which they didn't use, okay? This idea of kind is not, you know, flowers and fruits and trees. It's what is the function of the thing and what does it do for me, okay? So for example, when we get to to animals, it says uh, different kinds, Uh, I think it says livestock, the ones we eat and milk, right? They're useful. Creeping things, which is like little critters on the ground. And then the third, the third category is beasts of the um, beasts, which are things which you stay away from because they'll kill you. Does that make sense? So when people say, where are the dinosaurs, where are, there's no record of whatever, rhesus monkeys or something in, in the scriptures, the Bible doesn't think that way. The Bible thinks and reports the details in terms of kind. What do these things do? for the people that are surrounded by them, make sense? Um, okay, God said, um, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be light in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Let me stop there and point out something else Moses is doing here, which is, again, um, extremely countercultural and probably would have gotten him killed. Um, How many of you know anything about ancient Near Eastern religions? Anybody? Like the Mesopotamians? Or the Enuma Elish, or any of that stuff? Uh, how How about the Egyptians? What did the Egyptians worship? Anybody know? Pharaoh, who was what? The... God of the sun. Okay? So all the different deities that Moses is laying out are things that people worship, right? The stars, and the sea monsters, and the beasts of the field, right? These are things and idols that people would worship in the context of where Moses is writing this book. And so Moses says, no, 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 you got this wrong. These aren't gods at all. These are things which God, the real God, spoke into existence. Therefore, you're wrong. (laughs) Are you with me on that? When you read this Genesis material, you have to read it. It's basically Moses writing a polemic in a sense, separating the Jewish God, the true God, Elohim in this context, from all the other gods surrounding them. So when you read Genesis, friends, realize why it's being written, and that is to make a point that God created, yeah, you want to worship that sun god, great, you can do it all you want, but it ain't going to do you any good, because it ain't real. You want want results? Go to the big guy, because he created it all. Is that different from your reading of this from in the past? Is this a little, giving you a different angle on it maybe? Okay, um, verse 20. And God said that the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures. Could be dinosaurs. The great sea creature is, um, he kind of appears every once in a while in the Bible. He's referred to as the Leviathan. Anybody ever spent time in scripture? You come across the Leviathan. The Leviathan, again, is the symbol of everything that can hurt you. The boogeyman of, of the Old Testament is this critter right here. What is the, and so everybody fears the Leviathan. It's bad. It's got big teeth. And, and it's, a, it's some kind of a super, in the common understanding, it is a supernatural, godlike, fearful thing. What does Moses just tell you where that Leviathan came from? Where'd it come from? God, and he made it. Why? Because he felt like it. In fact, the Psalms say, I, I forget which Psalm it is, the Psalms say, it's really kind of cool, the Psalmist says, and there is that Leviathan, which you made, he's referring to God, and there is that Leviathan, which you made, for the sport of it, just because you could. And what that the whole point of that Moses is trying to make is that all the stuff that your culture is afraid of in the ancient Near East, Leviathans and you know, Minotaurs and all this stuff, it's all made up stuff. God is the true God. Does that make sense, everyone? This is what Moses is trying to communicate. Um, verse 22, and uh, God creates the animals, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. And this is cool to know. Livestock, the ones we eat, and milk. (laughs) Creep and pull our carts for us. Creeping things, little things on the ground that are maybe nuisances but aren't really dangerous. And beasts of the earth, that's the scary stuff. That's the kind, that's how they thought about animals in one of those three categories. Could you just, could just shoehorn a Triceratops in there? Maybe. That's a discussion for another day. Incidentally, side note, while I'm thinking of this, uh, many of you know Roger Nutt, uh, one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. I'm not, not Roger Nutt, although he is a smart man. Um, who am I thinking of, the guy? Doug L. I was just looking at you, Roger, sorry. I agree. What's, I agree. Dare I, say, dare I say, the most humble man I know, Doug L. Many of you know that Doug L. has a degree from MIT in theoretical math, whatever that is, and he said to me once he couldn't make any money as a theoretical mathematician, so he went to law school. But he's a profound interest in this, and he is right now on a tear about Young Earth. Anyway, he has agreed to come and offer a study for that for us in the fall, so if you want to dig into this stuff, and is it seven days? Is it millions of years? I, I've not spent a whole lot of time in that sandbox, but he has, and he'd be the great guy to speak to about that. So, I'm not, we're not gonna talk about it today, but if you're curious about it, stay tuned. Um, he wrote a book called Counting to God, how, how math, brought him to science, math and science brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, anyway, me, that was my story too, but that's not fodder for today. Um, then God said, Here's an interesting thing. This is where things get really, really interesting. Um, If you've lost, uh, if you've fallen asleep a little bit, which I can't imagine what happened when I'm speaking, but it might. (laughs) Come back in. Let me reel you back in a minute. This is something I want to show you. Again, that middle section there is Moses laying out a polemic against all the gods in the neighborhood. And then things get interesting. Verse 26, God says, I'm going to make man in... My image. Is that what it says? Negative. It says, let us make man in our image. Where are we here? Okay, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who's the our? Who's the we? In Genesis chapter 26, you see through a glass darkly i would submit but it's there you see the trinity you see the trinity there's no escaping this uh, i've asked jewish friends of mine i mean one uh, and that know something about their religion i'm like dude how do you get how do you get around that it's plural in the hebrew there's no way around it and they said well it's the royal we well yeah except oh. may, maybe except it takes a step further and says, we're not just gonna make him, in, we're not, gonna, not us make him, the royal we, it says let us make him in our image. Does that make sense? It's an us and an our. I'm not splitting hairs here, I'm actually trying to show you something crucially important about you and me and, me, and your faith. You see, even back in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, the first page of the Bible, you see a reference to the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus picks this up later, which we'll get to. And then there's something fascinating. God says here, this is a crucially important thing. God said, let us make man in our image. How many of you know anything about American history? Right, a little bit. American history? What does the Declaration of Independence say about why you matter as a human being? The Declaration of Independence says, you are enabled by your creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh yeah? Prove it. This is an important, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being a little funny here, but I mean this. This idea that human beings are made in God's image, and therefore, both a Jew and a Christian would say, human beings, whether they're Christians or not, have intrinsic value because they're made in God's image. Does that make sense? our entire legal system is based upon that premise and as, you, as we move further and further away from that premise you are going to see, I'm not going to do politics, but I'm making an important point because it's in the Declaration of Independence, if we move away from this idea of man being made in God's image you will lose a basis upon which to base human rights and if you don't believe me, read Friedrich Nietzsche, that's what he did he took away, he said, "Frederick Nietzsche was a 19th century uh, German philosopher. You know the guy, God is dead? Ever heard that expression? There's a great bumper sticker I saw once. It said, God is dead, Nietzsche. And then it said, Nietzsche is dead, God. That <laughs> <laughs> is pretty funny. But if you take away a person's being made in God's image as the source of their value, If you remove God from the picture, then how do you determine who's right and wrong? You wanna know what, I'll tell you what Nietzsche said. This is an important thing for you. You think Genesis doesn't matter, it matters. You know what Nietzsche said? He called it the, there's a German word for it, which sounds very imposing, but I don't know what it is. The will to power. So what Nietzsche says is, get rid of this, God mumbo-jumbo, get rid of this maiden god's image stuff. This is all fairy tale baloney. You get rid of that and you are left with, okay, well then who's right and wrong? And you know what Nietzsche said? The person who's right is the person who can enforce their will. Huh? Might makes right. Might makes right, thank you Connie, you could say it that way. And in fact, if you don't know your your, your European history, the Third Reich made liberal use of Friedrich Nietzsche, by the way. But politicians have done it, the communists have done it. I mean, secularists, non believing atheistic secularists, will at some point, even in America, get to that. You have to. If you remove God from the equation, if you remove the fundamental worldview that we are made in God's image and therefore have value intrinsically, if you take that away, someone's got to decide who gets health care. Someone's got to decide who gets uh, money for what. I want you just to see the important ramifications of this. Uh, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and following is hugely important for you and for our culture. Does this make sense, everyone? Okay, I wanna move, any questions or comments on that? Anybody? I don't wanna get into politics, but it's, I guess it's, a, it's, a, uh, um, it's an important point. Right, so God created man in his image, and the image of God, he created them Male and fe- female he created them. Do you see that? There's two stories of this, but they're actually, it's more like a general expression and then, a, and then an elaboration we're gonna get to in a minute. God created man in his own image. Can I ask you a question? If why didn't God just say, I'm gonna make him in our image, and it's just one dude? Why wouldn't that be the case? Because already we see God is a plurality, right? He is at least, he's, he's an us. So when God creates mankind, he doesn't create a he, I mean, he does, we'll get to that in a second. He creates a he, but then he, to make it fully in God's image, he has to create a what? A them. <laughs> does this make sense? The point I want you to see is, and Paul picks this up, which we'll get to later, Paul says that marriage between a man and a woman is reflective of the unity between Christ and his church and reflects the Godhead. Does this make sense? This is pretty heady stuff. But the point I want you to see is God is saying that he creates men and women as a plurality, as a way to live in harmony with each other. And we're going to get to the the rib stuff in a second. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Dominion means you and I have been deputized to care for this, okay? He, gives, he doesn't say, he didn't say exploit. <laughs> he said have dominion, care for this thing. And I want you to notice something important. It's implied, but it's hugely important. God is delegating authority to us. He does not delegate that authority to angels. He delegates it to us, to people. Um, And God said, behold, verse 29, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Have at it. Enjoy it. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. Where am I here? I've given every green plant for food and it was so. And God God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was... Very good. He's happy. (laughs) Once mankind is created, it's good until God made you and I, and then God says, it's really good. And interestingly, Hebrew does not have a superlative form. It's why you see repetition frequently in, in Hebrew in the Old Testament. So very good means it's as good as it could possibly be. And what God is saying is it's as good as it could possibly be because you and I are in it. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's stop there. Um, any questions? Comments? Am I going too fast? Okay. Yeah. Moses ever known about the Trinity? That's a good question. Uh, one of the principles of scripture is that it is inspired right, by the Holy Spirit. So how did Moses know about the Trinity? Well, he didn't really. He wrote about what God had told him. We know, once we meet Jesus Christ and he makes these claims, we can look back and go, oh, okay. That's what Moses was after. Did Moses know about the Trinity? I don't know, it's not clear, but he wrote about it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Good question. Um, How this book developed is another awesome discussion, but we're not gonna talk about that today. Let's go up, so, uh, and the, God blessed them. Let's scroll down a little bit. Then, the, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What does the word holy mean? Separate, but what is it? It actually doesn't mean, it doesn't mean just mean separate. It means separate and set aside for God's use. I'm gonna say this, God rested on the seventh day, right? And he makes it holy. The Sabbath day is God's day. It is God's day to be in church every Sunday, whether you wanna be there or not, to keep the Sabbath holy, special, devoted for him. You only ask for one day. (laughs) But the point I want you to see here, and it's actually the third commandment, which we'll get to later, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's more important than murder, anyway, we won't get into that today. The point I want you to see, God creates the Sabbath and makes it holy. Now, let's get into this stuff a little bit here. Um, we, have any, anybody ever said to you, ah, the Bible's all made up gibberish because there's two creation stories in there. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, that's not true. Um, what verse are we on here? We're on verse four. Um, there is the original man and female. He created them. We just read that, right? Now Moses circles back and provides us more detail. You ever write a book, and the writer's going through, and then they stop, and they go, you know, what, let's let's dig in this a little bit more, and then they go back to the story. That's what he's doing. It's not too. Moses wasn't stupid, <laughs> okay, and. He doesn't write a story and then write another story after it that contradicts it. He's, he's circling back and putting, giving us more detail, which you're gonna think is really cool, about how this works. So, verse four. These are the generation of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day that God, the Lord, made, heavens, made the earth and the heavens. Scroll down, please. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprang up, for the Lord God, that's the word Yahweh, it's God's name, that, that caps Lord God as Yahweh, it's a special word for God. Um, and the mist was going up from the land where it was watering the whole face of the ground and the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and what did he do? He waved his magic wand, no, he breathes again into the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. I want to stop there a minute. Um, that word for man is the Hebrew word. Uh, I'm going to write it in English, but, but because I don't know how to write Hebrew. <laughs> but is is the Greek word or the Hebrew word the Adam. Hadam is the Hebrew word. What does the word Adam mean? It's very, it's very uh, exotic and very strange. You know what it means? Man the man of red dirt. It's exact. what does God do? He scoops earth out of the ground, he takes a lump of red dirt, and he breathes in it. Remember, he breathed creation to begin with. He breathes into his nostrils, and the Hadam becomes a living being. Now, let me challenge you on something here a little bit. The Hadam can refer to a female or a male. So let me give you a, there's a guy named Robert Gagnon who wrote a book, it's an important book about sexuality, but he has a great theory which actually makes a lot of sense, and you'll see why in a minute. Here's a possibility of what happens. The Lord God takes dirt, you know the old idea, Uh, um, you you were formed from from, from dust, and to dust you shall return? It's truth. Someday I'm going to be worm food and so are you, unless the Lord returns in the meantime. We are taken from dirt, and we return to it, right? It's okay, because the spirit lives on until we get resurrected. But God breathes into the Hadam, and the Hadam becomes a person. And and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of knowledge was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm gonna get to that in a second. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and notice something here. Is Eden a real place? According to Moses, it is. And if you look at the details here from chapter 10, scroll up please a little bit, verses 10 through uh, 13, he gives you a physical location of where it is. Somewhere between the Tigris, Euphrates, Gihon, and Pishon rivers. Where is that? We don't know where the Gishon and Pishon were. We do know where the Tigris and Euphrates are. It's called the Fertile Crescent and it's somewhere in modern-day Iraq. Incidentally, are any of you familiar with somebody called Mesopotamian Eve? No? She's not a rock star. (laughs) Mesopotamian Eve is a genetic ancestor which we all share from, guess where? That part of the world. Science has proven, genetically, we all have a common female ancestor, no, mitochondrial Eve, I'm sorry, where they have shown, Google it, that this person, a common female progeny, behind everybody, comes from guess where? There. We're gonna get to where is Eden now next week. I'm not gonna talk about it this week yet, but you'll see. Um, Look at verse 15. So the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden, and said, have fun to work it and to keep it, right? So even from the very beginning, before the fall, does Adam just sit around and play video games all day? No, he's there to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God said, this is fascinating, watch this. The Lord God said, we're in verse 18, it is not good that the man, the Hadam, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Have you ever seen God say it's not good? up till now. Where does the first not good rear its ugly head? In the Garden of Eden, what's going on? What's, what's the problem? It is not good that what? The man should not have a Nintendo? That the man shouldn't have a cold beer on a Sunday? It is not good that the man should be alone. Isn't that fascinating? Remember, we're made in God's image. Come back to God as a Trinity, right? If we're made in God's image, is it good to be alone? No, we weren't designed for it. You ever read about? Um, you know the Quakers. You know who they are. They were from my hometown, Philadelphia. They uh, they tried at one point something in a prison in Philadelphia called solitary confinement. And they thought the 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 the, uh, the intention behind it was good. It was put somebody in the cell, lock them up, and give them an up op- and give them a Bible, and they'll just pray and they'll realize the error of their ways. You put somebody in solitary, I mean, they go bananas quickly. You know why? not good that a man or a woman, for that matter, should be alone. I want to show you something cool. Um, where are we? Uh, could you scroll down, please? Um, okay, then the man, um, it's not good that the man should be alone. So verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the Hadam, this person. Is he a biological male? That's not entirely clear. I'll show you why in a second. Okay. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now let me stop there and ask you a question. Does that paint a flattering picture? Yes or no? In the English, it doesn't. It sounds like E was created out of spare parts, right? <laughs> this is where this is where a knowledge of Hebrew is extremely important. Here's why. This word for uh, how many of you learn as a kid? Um, and I'm not dismissing it. I'm just giving you another way to look at it, which actually will hopefully open your eyes a little bit. Um, When you learned as a kid that God took a rib from Adam, kind of made him, put him in, you know, anesthetized him, put him to sleep, cut a hole open, took a rib out, and blammo, out came Eve. That's what we learned, right? Let me submit this to you. This is the Hadam, right? The person of red clay. What if it worked like this? What if the word for rib in Hebrew can also be translated as, can you read that? Side, because you know what? It can be. The word for rib and the word for side are the same word in Hebrew. Why it's translated rib? It's a very good question. But you could, you could say this, that God, you could exegetically, linguistically defend this, which is what Robert, Robert Gagnon's idea is. Here is the chadam, right? And who knows what he looked like, or, he, or it looked like, and God, takes the Hadam and doesn't pull a rib out and make Eve. Instead, he takes the Hadam and splits him in a side. You with me? And now you have, what, two sides, if you will. Again, this is a little metaphorical, but the idea is there. Does that show you uh, that a woman is spare parts? It shows you that a woman and a man are equal. And what are they, two halves of? Oh, remember we're made in God's image, right? God is a multiple, God is the three in one. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all God. They don't lack anything, but they're also one God in three, right? What, what Gagnon would argue in his book, and I think he's right, and I'll tell you why in a second. He would argue that not, it's not that Adam is, or Eve is being made out of spare parts, but rather what God is doing is taking the Hadam, this person of red dirt, and splitting him in half and creating two halves. Does that make sense? And the reason I believe that to be true is because later on Jesus says, and he actually quotes Moses when he says this, when a man marries a woman the two shall cleave together and the two shall become what? One. One. So is Eve spare parts? No, Eve is, and what is, what, is, what is Adam, now Adam would be a male, because now there's a female. Whether or not the original Adam was a biological male is an open question, It's another matter. But I'll submit to you this, it fits the facts. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I'm gonna wrap up with this. Therefore, what does he say? A man shall leave his father and his mother, his security, and hold fast, it's the word cleave, when you say The word for split, the opposite of the word is to cleave. Does that make sense? He will cleave to his wife through sexual union, and the two shall become one flesh. Right? And look at this last line. It's crucially important. that I'm going to take a few questions. And the man and his wife were both, listen to this, it's profound, were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Let me stop there and ask you, Um, Is there any embarrassment in the Garden of Eden before the fall? Is there shame? No. No. Is there joy? Yes. Yes. Is there happiness? Can Adam and Eve talk to God directly like I'm talking to you right now? Yes. Yes. And they stand there buck naked and they're not ashamed. We'll see next week when Adam and Eve fall, right? How does God know, it's kind of a play on words, he says to them, they're hiding, they cover themselves. And he, this is profound to me. God says, if you can picture God in his pastoral, loving, many of you are parents, right? Why did you drive the car through the garage door? <laughs> Why did you do this? I warned you about this. Who told you? And God says to Adam and Eve, he says, who told you you were naked? In other words, who introduced... Shame to you, because that's not the way I created you. This is so important, friends, to think about this and pray about this, because this is what we were created for, right? Not the world we have now. Any questions? Is it getting warm in here? We're gonna get to that next week. Did God create the devil? No, we'll get to that next week. So, um, any questions or comments real quick? I'm gonna try to keep these to an hour. Anybody have anything? Is, are you guys warm? No. A little bit, it's getting warm. I feel this too. What's that? I'm just moving around a lot. Yes. The, uh, the word begotten, begotten, not made. And I just that I: I, a lot and I just, it just the, That's a good point. So Jen, it makes the question you know in the creed we say, "Begotten, not made right, about, about, the, about Jesus and the Father and the relationship. It's a technical Greek term, uh, but it ties into this idea of Adam and Eve not being parts of each other, but two halves of a whole, does that make sense? But it's not saying that Adam and Eve are less human by themselves, it's just, it's kinda like human, Adam and Eve marriage reflects God's relationship with himself. I mean, it's crazy, it's wonderful theology, and it's, it's really powerful. Anyway, so think about that this week. And in fact, I'll submit this to you. Let's boil this down to it as a pastoral matter. Many of you are married uh, or dating or whatever. Um, can, I have, can I give you a little pastoral advice here, a little one-on-one? Because my wife and I, we never fight, but I know you all do. <laughs> and if you, the next time the wife does something that drives you crazy or your husband forgets to put the toilet seat down or whatever it is, right? <laughs> And you're just like, God, this guy, man. Can I stop you and just say this? Think of that person as the other half of your body, and it will change your reaction. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm being serious. Think of that person as the other half of your personhood. You know when Paul says, Paul says later on, does a man ever hate his own body? He says that later That's a rhetorical question. The answer's no if you thought of your spouse as your other half, not just, your mother more than my better half, but it really, it'll change the way you treat him and it'll treat the way you treat her. Guarantee it. So this is not just theology. This is, well, It is theology, but it's practical. The Bible is immensely practical. All right, next week, we are going to talk, if you would like to, uh, um, we're going to read next week Father, what is the, uh, on those little forms over there, can you read out what that is? If you want to take one of those with you, you can, or you can just, next week is Genesis the fall. 3, 1 24. Right, we're going to, it's sequential, so next week is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 24, it's the fall. Did you notice something? In the meta-narrative, we've already covered one, <laughs> and next, week, creation, next week we're going to cover the fall, so we're, gonna, we're halfway through this whole thing in two weeks. <laughs> Somebody once said, after Genesis chapter 2, it's all just commentary, (laughs) which is actually true. Uh, To give you a big picture of how the Bible works, after Genesis chapter 2 and the fall, what you see are people, you and I, who were created for something better, living in a fallen world and just blowing it every single time. Struggling that is the entire Old Testament after Genesis chapter 2 just one thing after another because once we are Excluded from the garden for which we were created. It just goes downhill fast There's your there's the Old Testament right there Any questions or comments for future? I'm going to try to start at 4 o'clock I'm going to try to keep us to an hour be mindful of your time We might if you guys want to think about this will be kind of fun is maybe we will uh, have some wine and cheese. We can maybe have a little bit of social time afterwards. If you guys if you think that's a good idea, if you want to, talk to me about that. Uh, otherwise, you know, we can just depart at 5 o'clock. What's that? Derby, Derby yeah. So, all right, so shall we close in prayer? I hope you will learn something. Did you? Okay, good. And I hope this is not drudgery. I hate to lecture, and hopefully our other times will be more interactive. I just had to get through a lot tonight, so... Shall we pray? The Lord be with you. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which speaks truth so clearly and so directly to our hearts. Uh, Lord, give us a love for your word and a willingness to engage it and treat it the way it wants to be treated as a, as a guide to who you are and who we are and who we are in relation to you. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, for their willingness to sacrifice their time to study your word and to be to learn what it is that you're trying to tell us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, we ask that you like, subscribe, or share this message. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity Episcopal Church, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.